do you want to maybe start off this uh, this session going over the SPY and and what do you think about the CPI report or Tom? What what are you thinking? I feel like you were about to say something. No, I, I have nothing to say. Um, I didn't really uh, follow it too closely today, so I don't have much insight on it. Yeah, it seems like seems like the market's a little extended on the on the weeklies for the spy. Who knows? I don't know. I mean, technically, the technicals say that we're in a new bull market now. So we'll see how that turns out. I was watching a video and this guy was talking about the mean reversion strategy. And he was saying that right now is the best time in the last three years for a mean reversion um, in terms of how extended the spy is and the cues and everything else, all the sectors and everything. They're all just creep, like you said today, Alex. They're all just creeping up as the volume's getting lower and lower and lower. And every single person now is like, Oh, we're never having a red day again. Even the biggest bears on Twitter, like they're all capitulating, they're all finally done with it, finally cutting their options bags that they're down 90% on. Yeah, all that stuff. So it could be the time to really. I put a sticky note literally right on my screen, like covering the price action that says. Be ready for the drop. This is when you make two months of profit in one day. <laughs> it's only worth it if you work for it. It's only worth it if you work for it. I won't stop till they hear me now. I won't stop till I wear the crown. Because I need to get in that shit early and add like up to eight contracts and get like a 30 point trade. I, it's totally possible. I just need to be ready for it. But yeah. Yeah, that seems like what I was saying to you this morning was like, that seems like that sort of trade is going to be like you put in your starter of where you think it's going to be the top or you, or you yep. think where it's going to start to roll over. You put in your stop and you you put, you put keep your hands off until either you stop out or the spy is down to like 350, 340, mm-hmm. and you're, you're adding on the way down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you definitely don't want to, get too aggressive because then if if it doesn't end up rolling over and there's no confirmation, no follow through to the downside, you're in so heavy and then you're stopping out for a bigger loss and then that kind of ruins your confidence for the next one. Yeah, yeah it's a but, really yeah. hard, it's really hard to short uptrends. It's just so <laughs> difficult. I mean, yeah, it's, it's like, like trying to take scalp, long scalps on the backside. Like you're you're trying to make that two, three to percent, but you're always risking that five to ten percent um breakdown right that that flush yeah break out to the downside so that's doesn't make any logical sense it's a losing game the only way it works <laughs> is if you add into it when you become correct but the thing that's hard too is like even today like i shorted right at the open i knew i i said it's gonna break out it's gonna have a false breakout and it's gonna rip lower and then it did exactly that so i shorted into the breakout and then added on pull-ups and i was like uh, do I hold this for a 20 point trade? Maybe if it can happen. And I was like, definitely not. We have a rate hike tomorrow. We have PPI tomorrow. You know, the market has, uh, in terms of hedging from hedge funds and like equity traders, all that, this is whenever you're surrounded by CPI, PPI and a rate hike, this is like the ultimate maximum hedge time for all these big funds. So if you think about hedging, obviously it's going to make the market be rotational. Whenever the market's rotational, that means it just chops around and stays in the same place for a while. So I think it's hard because the last FOMC we had, usually during FOMC, like the trade of a rate hike day is that it'll break the high of day on the FOMC candle and then it will immediately like crash down through the low of day. And it's like a 50 point trade usually. 
I mean, not, not that I've never caught it. It's a 50 point move, but um, it's hard because I think people know that now and like it might happen today and then tomorrow FOMC hap comes out and it just drops straight down and it confirms the people that are already in today. Mm-hmm. So it's so tricky anymore. I feel like the spy is so much more of like a, before you even trade, just remember, like think like everyone else first and then do the opposite. Because if you're thinking like technical or anything like that, you just get screwed over. Yeah, It's bad. It's really yeah. The, the one thing when I was, I used to trade spy a little bit and I, my stats are negative for it. I never really got profitable on spy, but it always felt like there's so many contradicting perceptions on that market just because if you look on the one minute, okay, it could be a bullish pattern, but then you look at the five minute, it's also bullish, but then 10 minutes bearish, the 20 minutes bearish. And then you look at the daily, it's bullish. So it's like, what, what should I be doing here? And I get in my head and I don't really know what I should be doing or how I should be trading it. And, um, I just never really figured it out uh, with and, the spy. It seemed it seemed to be like a like a coin flip every single trade. Yeah, in a way, it it it, is, it feels like that for me too. And I trade it every day. That's why it's so important that you have to add into your winners. But then that's how you get screwed over too, because you were saying on the one podcast, uh, the spy will pull back for like an hour, and then it will fucking go back and break out. Like yeah. there's no such thing as like a backside. Every like if you get an intraday backside yeah. on the spy and we're in a bull market, that's just a pullback. It's not an actual like trade you yeah. can trust. You have no idea when these on the larger time buyers, frame, yeah. yeah, you have no idea when they're gonna come back in. So it's so hard to hold a winner anymore because if you hold your short too long, it's going to flip on you for sure, and you're gonna <laughs> lose a lot of money. So yeah, and while you're adding into it, you're dropping your average, and it's like yeah. So, so where where are you at with your um? trajectory where do you see yourself moving do you, do you like staying in the spy do you want to uh grapple with large caps um do you want to grapple with small caps um i think that at this point there's no i don't have enough money to have a pdt account so i mean a dream my dream scenario is that i have my pdt account i have my futures account i have an options account whatever and then I can trade in play tickers on the day. Like I would love to go back and trade small caps and just have something to do in the morning. And then I would love to trade large caps too, because there's so many, if you follow like these prop traders, they always are trading different tickers. And it's, it's definitely really hard to be like a millionaire trader when you're trading just the spy, because the spy is not in play every day. There's only like maybe two days of the week that the spy is really good. And then every other day yeah. is just super tricky. But um, ideally, I would love to trade everything, but I definitely like the SPY a lot right now. And it's kind of my only option, especially with that. Um, I'm trading in that funded account now, so I'm not uh-huh. even using my own money anymore. What's the latest update on that funded account? So the first day, the whole point of the funded account is I want to I start messing around with position sizing and starting to classify trades um, A through D and then size up accordingly because right now I'm doing linear. So if I see a D setup, I'll trade with one contract. If I see a C setup, I trade with two. If I see a B, three, four, A. And I want to eventually get to the point where it's exponentially betting. So D is one, C is two, B is four, and an A is eight. Um, Because that's how you get like big winners. Obviously you have to be exponentially bet sizing. And I've been doing that in this account a lot. And on the first day of this account, I had like a, Three contract trade that was like 13 points and I made like 200 
It was like $198 or something like that, which is a big green day for me. Yeah. And then um, for the next three weeks, I lost, I think, maybe 600 off of that high. Yeah. So I was up 200 in the account, then I was down 400. And then right now I'm back to break even <laughs> basically. But um, like on Friday, I had like a $280 trade where I had three contracts and made 20 points with three contracts, which is my best trade ever. And then today I had a hundred point trade or a hundred dollar trade, but I like it. I mean, I think for now there's no, there's no reason for me to switch. I think if you start switching around once you're already like deep, it's like, Oh man, you're taking a huge step back every time you switch anything. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Every switch has to be really thought through. Sometimes switches are important, but yeah. Yeah. The longer you stick with something, the the more likely it's just going to work out at one point. Mm. Yeah, as long as long as you're finding uh, traction, I guess, and that's really all that matters, and you can stick with it. Yeah, but unless you're not finding that traction after a certain amount of time, you have to learn when to call it and find something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, I mean, I'm, it seems I'm, like you're getting some traction, though, right? I mean, not really, honestly. I'm still no. break even mostly since I started trading the spy like a year ago. So yeah, I mean it's hard you can consider that traction you could consider that not traction you know because in a way like i mean why the fuck would i ever become profitable the first year trading a new an etf that i've never traded in my life you know um yeah that was a huge switch i went from small caps to large caps and then i went from large caps to just a spy which Mm -hmm. you know that happened last year pretty much exactly a year ago today that's when i started trading the spy (laughs) So it makes sense that I shouldn't really be profitable quickly and make money that fast on an indice, but I don't know. I see break even as a good thing, but I'm also like an eternal optimist because uh, if you aren't with trading, then you're kind of just, uh, you're fucked. <laughs> yeah. Who, who do, um, so, so who do you kind of feel like you study under the most? Is there somebody out there like on YouTube or online that, uh, you want to trade similar and you kind of like learn from them or you just kind of like on your own kind of studying your own trades right now. I definitely take little pieces from everyone and I do a lot of different things, but in general, I think you have to build your own strategy. You have to build your own way of seeing it because I think it's super (laughs) common anymore that if I go listen to a podcast or listen to someone going over a trade recap and they're very profitable already. It's super common for me to be listening to them and they'll be showing me their charts and showing all this stuff. And, and it's like, it makes no sense at all. And I think that's really common that once you become profitable, your strategy should make no sense to pretty much anybody. Like it, you can have the basic idea like, Oh, we're in a backside. You go short. Okay. Well, how do you get in? How do you confirm it's in the backside? Where did, mm-hmm. What is your exit criteria? When are you adding into that trade? When are you scalping it? When are you getting in and holding it for the low of day? You know, it's like, there's so many little nuances that, yeah. yeah, like I've talked to Alex about this before and I was saying how sometimes I feel like it's not fair that we give away all this free shit on YouTube, just like my trading strategy or whatever, even though it's not even like a proven profitable strategy. I'm just like, damn, I give all this work away for free. And then Alex said, uh, yeah, like it doesn't matter how much you give away because no one's going to be able to trade it the way you trade it anyway, because there's nuances that are in your brain that 
you can't even you can't even speak because you don't even know what they are. There's there's definitely that intuition aspect yeah. that you will never oh my be God. able to teach. Yeah. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, I, I try to give away as much as I can, and I feel like most people are, are maybe not going to take it seriously. Uh, they're not going to trade it the same. They're going to add their own spin on it. So I don't really feel like I'm giving away like my secret, even though I'm literally telling you everything I've done. I've done like 500 recaps. I've live streamed for like 400 times. So I feel like I'm, I'm giving away a ton of stuff, but you know, it, it's how people digest it. And I think there's also a lot of value that comes out of that. You know, I, I make connections. I met you guys through all the content. Um, you know, we're constantly growing our community. We meet a bunch of cool people. So I think through that, I also get a lot in return. I mean, I would have never met you guys or some other people who've been on this podcast if I wasn't giving away as much as possible. So it's yeah. a, it's a give and take. And, um, hopefully people get a lot of value out of it as well. You know, I, I want people to get better as traders, right? If, if everyone fails, you're, you're never going to have any subscribers <laughs> yeah. or you're not going to grow your community. So I, I want as many successful traders as possible, even though we're all competing each other. I think, you know, this is we're such tiny drops in an ocean uh, that the market is. So I, I never really get worried about, you know, any of that people stealing my stuff. Yeah. That's how I view it. How do you feel about that, Tom? Mm -hmm. Well, for example, um, I joined Trade Journal three years ago, the Discord channel. Um, I was I was a negative trader. I was uh, I was not profitable. I was losing money. Similar with you, and um, yeah, just after about a year and a half of learning from Alex, not exactly doing the same thing that he's doing, but just the insights that you can gain from that and kind of like the, the tips for self-reliance in the markets um, help me kind of discover my own strategy that works for me. And it's, it's nothing like, it's nothing like Ross Cameron. It's nothing like Alex Winkler. It's nothing like uh, Colby. It's nothing like um, any other people that are on YouTube. Uh, I think that's, that's definitely the way to get profitable. It is kind of, forging your own path eventually. I mean, I think you can learn from people like straight, uh, like word for word to an extent, but if you want to be self-reliant and not have to rely on alerts or somebody else's podcast or not podcast or live stream or live trading or copy trading Ross Cameron, um, <laughs> you'll never, you'll never be substantially successful in day trading. You need to forge your own path at some point to kind of reach those upper echelons of this industry. Yeah. Zero to one is what, uh, what all these people are good for all, you know, all the, all the content out there, but absolutely. Yeah. At, the, at the end of the day, you know, trading is, is fairly simple. I feel like you could teach it to a five-year-old, you know, when it comes to strategies, you know, price action, what's hard is really dealing with yourself. And if you want to go, you know, from one to two now, after going from zero to one, you're going to have to really look inside. No one can really teach you that. We can, what we do really well, I think on this podcast is we say how we did it. Uh, you know, okay. I had a huge red day. How did I deal with that? I had, you know, a massive losing streak. You know, I was six months, you know, churning or something like that. And then we have our own stories and I find that really, really helpful. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to go through it yourself. And yeah. if you're not willing to do it, then, you know, tough, tough luck. 
It's funny when we're talking about this, it sounds like those people that talk about like journeys to enlightenment and they're always like, <laughs> how do you become enlightened? And they're like, well, it's just specific to every person and you have to find your own path. And I'm like, Dude, trading is the biggest self-discovery. Like, okay, maybe, you know, if you're like a Tibet month and you're freezing for like a couple of years and then- Nah, dude, that's not even, that doesn't even count. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's nothing. They have leave six... the world behind. They leave <laughs> the world behind and just go sit in the hole. Okay, we're like in the trenches, bro. Like we got to fight every day and and still become stoic. That's way harder than being a monk. I, yeah, in a way, I kind of agree. Like when you're churning for six months or something and you just want to throw your laptop out the window like multiple days or like when I had my like, I don't know, it was like six or seven red days, uh, no red Mondays from like max, I don't know, like 2K profit down to like max loss. I was I was so frustrated and I had to really like figure it. I had to answer a lot of questions in myself to to keep going. Um, you know, I would, I would like go into the living room where my girlfriend was and I would just lay on the floor and be like, I can't believe it just happened again, you know, and I would just be so devastated. You have to get over that. You know, it wasn't even about the money. It was, it was about my mindset because I knew I was a better trader and I, I didn't understand why I was trading so poorly. And that, that was what was eating me up. It wasn't the money at the time. Um, so yeah, I, there's a lot of self-discovery as a trader. Yeah. Um, um, to, <laughs> before we, you know, rub this topic uh, to its bones. Colby, as a, as a macro trader, what are you thinking right now with the CPI? I know we briefly uh, talked about in the beginning, which who knows how much will be on this pod um, because it was like all over the place in the beginning. But what, do you, what are you thinking about the CPI? I mean, it was even lower than expected. And the expected number was like a 0.8% drop from month over month. So that's a huge drop. Yeah, the consensus was 4.1 and we were only four. That's almost a 1% drop. I guess it, that was uh, not month over month, but uh, that's that's crazy. That's that's a big drop. I mean, pretty much uh, the inflation is transitory thing is becoming true. <laughs> I mean, we went from 9% to four in a year. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty good. So, I mean, um, it, it seemed like the market kind of like this. Um, but yeah, my problem is, and this is what I was uh, calling out earlier that you mentioned is, you know, we're, we're rallying up on less volume. And if you don't really see it well, or you want to say, Alex, the day isn't over yet, there's so much that can happen. Just look at, I don't know, several large caps, for example, and you'll see the volume here on a big breakout day is actually really light. And this actually worries me quite a bit. And you'll see it from, you know, NVIDIA to something like BYND. Uh, the volume breaking higher is not really what it should be, or we're not even breaking out. Snow, for example, similar situation, almost no volume. Tesla, let's see here, much low, lower volume than you would expect when you're hitting these new highs. So I, I was a little cautious today, and I was just closing out pretty much all of my positions. Uh, Unity, Playboy, I closed out. NVIDIA, BYND, and I was closing out more trades yesterday, more swing trades. And I'm kind of getting ready to reaccumulate the way I look at anything. Like if I, let's say, let's say the spy does keep ripping, then I can always buy on pullback back to this zone. But right now I think we're in a, we're, we're pretty extended and wow, we have just so much macro yeah. news coming out that I don't, I wouldn't, I would not feel comfortable holding so many positions at the moment. 
that's my take. I could be totally wrong, but I could always re-enter. Can I share real quick? Yes, of course. Uh, there we go. Uh, this is, let's just go over like how this whole thing started. So at first, you know, this is the big drop bear market started like wherever, I guess right here, because that was 20% down. The whole catalyst for this entire drop is inflation is too high. We have to raise rates. And that was what, the, what happened for how long is this pretty much nine months straight of just going down every pop on every large cap, you sell it, you'll make money. Shorting is the best thing in the world. Every retail idiot in the entire world is like the number one shorter of all time now. <laughs> then this day, you can't see it now, but this was that day where CPI came out and it was, I think it was as expected or maybe just like 0.1% worse. And we hit the bottom and then we ripped back up. And then this is whenever everyone was too bearish. And that was the catalyst basically up until here. And then uh, the market just chopped around and, and fucked around for a little bit. This was the banking crisis, right? Remember that? Who would have thought SIVB getting bailed out by JP Morgan and all that shit would have actually not mattered at all. So that's hilarious. And then now we're in the pure euphoria breakout new bull market phase. <laughs> so... It's really weird, like seeing the evolution of the chart. You can really see the fear in, in the price action. And now we're in the euphoria phase and you can feel it. Every pullback is a buying opportunity and that yeah. is it. There is no mm -hmm. such thing as like a true red day anymore. The next day gaps back up or you have two red days. The third day, it's like a 50 point move or something crazy. There were, uh, I'm not going to go through all this shit, but there was, I, I posted a tweet the other day. Um, we reclaimed the 50 moving average on the spy, I think in March. And whenever we reclaimed it, uh, we tested it two, three times since that reclaim and each retest resulted in a 100 point futures move up. So when we broke the 50 moving average, we had a hundred point futures move up three times already this year, which wow. is just so mind blowing, mind blowing. I was going to say, so, so if we, if we zoom out, we put those, can you put those squares back up? Yeah. Yeah. So if we look, zoom out to like, this is going to be like the, the 10 year chart, these, all these squares, it looks like a bear flag. It looks like we're going to have that another next big square coming down. You mean you want me to zoom out again? <laughs> no, I'm just saying those white <laughs> squares are the, the chart. Oh yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> Like, look at this is wild, man. What a fumbled, what a, I fumbled the shit out of these swing opportunities that all happened basically in peak fear down here on NVIDIA, Tesla, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, everything. I mean, that was a great time to be a buyer. And this is a great time to be a seller. <laughs> but well, who knows? Maybe we're going to blast through 480. <laughs> Honestly, I, I would not be surprised at all. I really wouldn't. Me neither. It's it's too hard to predict this stuff, but the the run up we've had was really strong. We have a lot of stocks like Tesla or Nvidia or I don't know, just a lot of these Nasdaq stocks that are up to three hundred percent. And it was almost like a very continuous run. And I just kind of feel like we're due for a little bit of a correction. So that's that's a little bit my thesis, but I, I really like how you broke down these sell-offs and this rally that we were seeing. It really puts things in perspective. 
So thank you for that. There's, it's always a sentiment thing. It's always like inflation's too high. The world is going to blow up and then everyone's super scared for a really long time. And then it doesn't happen. And then everyone's like, well, it didn't happen. What do we do now? The markets, there's never been a bull market from raising interest rates. When was the last time a bull market began because we raised interest rates? That's like the number one thesis uh, for every every bear in the whole world. They're like, how could we go to a bull market whenever there's raising interest rates that at the second pace is fast in the history of humankind. And then uh, I tweeted this out the other day and I said, sometimes things happen in the market simply because it is like impossible and it shouldn't. And if every single human being thinks the no bull market will ever start because the interest rates uh, raised at the second fastest pace in history, that is the reason why it will start, right? It's like the pure contrarian mindset in a way that gets you screwed over a lot but in when you're coming out of a bull market yeah bear market i mean then that could be the reason why you know it goes euphoric like this one thing that actually made me have my best some of my best swings i had a lot of messy swings and i was chasing i was chasing the chart setups a little bit too much and what i did and had some of my best ones and this was like a little bit unorthodox for me but the only reason I did it is because the, the situation in the market right now is I actually looked for some fundamental companies like Snow, really, really strong software company, great cash flow, basically great everything. And, you know, they're down like 70, 80% from their highs and the market's starting to kind of trend up a little bit. So I just, boom, I just bought it. And I was like, I'm just going to give it until, you know, I'm up 20, 30%. I'm just going to sell it again. And those were, I had several of those. And those were all my best. So I was just looking for good, good companies that were just depreciated. And I knew at one point, like, I'm sorry, there's going to be a dead cat bounce, um, you know, at, at the, at the worst, most likely. So that's, that's kind of what my thesis was. And that's what got me uh, agreeing on a lot of these swing trades. And now I'm just waiting for that pullback. But again, I think I'm going to do the same thing again. Like, I don't know. It's so hard for me to try to predict anything macro. And I think it's impossible for, you know, really anyone to do it, but you know, if, if you find good companies that are just kind of depreciated, you know, even if we do enter a bear market, a lot of these companies already did a lot of cost cutting and they're probably not going to go away, the big ones. So I felt like that was the safest bet. And I think that probably still is the way to go go about it. Just avoid the, the speculative stuff like, you know, clove, <laughs> things like that. Dude, Apple is the biggest company in the history of mankind. And it went up 50% in the last 150 days. Like it broke to a new all-time high in the 5th of June. Yeah. And now it's one company that I somehow almost never touch. I don't, I don't know why I have too many biases. I keep thinking it's too extended to this, to that. Right. My dad is, my dad buys Apple sometimes in his little retirement portfolio. And he's always like, every time I ever talked about the stock market, he's like, ah, fucking, I should have just fucking bought all of Apple for, with all my money forever. And I'd be up $30 million right now. I know that thought. I think everyone does. It's a classic. Yeah, so Shoulda, coulda, woulda. The classic, I'm your dad and I don't trade, but I know you trade and I'm going to say something that makes no sense. It's like the sentiment of every human being on the planet. Oh, I could have <laughs> bought it at the bottom and sold at the very top for a billion dollars, you know? Yeah. Classic, yeah. I don't trade uh, sentence. I feel that way about Facebook a lot because when I was in high school, I was, no, was it, I think it was even younger. I was like in middle school. No, I, I don't remember. I was in like somewhere between those two phases and they IPO'd and I was like, 
man, we should, we should be buying this. Cause I was obviously an active user at the time. I was a, I was a teenager and I was like, everyone's using this. And that's literally like Peter Lynch went up on wall street. It's basically like his thesis is buy what you know, keep it simple and boom. And that was, that was, that was my Apple. Like should have, should have, could have, would have. Mm-hmm. I'm not a crazy yeah. Facebook fan anymore, but hey, that's that's a long time ago from their IPO. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what is everyone doing in terms of trading this week uh, going forward? Any plans? Because we have the busy CPI schedule. I'm just wondering, like, I know me, I'll start myself. Like, I you know, get green, kind of get going. I really don't like trading when there's so much activity. So like from seven to eight 30 this morning, I was really pause off because at eight 30 AM Eastern, you know, core inflation dropped. And I didn't really want to, I know everyone's thinking about, you know, that inflation report. So even if a small cap is running, you might get one or two trades on it, but your mind is somewhere else. And, you know, tomorrow we got PPI, we got the fed rate discussion at 2 PM. Uh, we got Thursday retail sales month over month and then Friday. Okay. some Michigan consumer sentiment, not so important, but you know, it's, it's a busy week. So what are your guys' game plans? My game plan is probably just waiting to see when the small cap market kind of turns around with momentum. That's the main stocks that I trade is the small caps. I don't ever trade the, the large caps for the spy. So I'm just going to stick with, with, um, uh, the strategy that I've developed that's profitable. And when the small cap market starts to heat up again, then look to be a little bit more aggressive. But for right now, definitely uh, more reserved with my position, with my position strategy, my position management. So mostly um, just one, one quick entry, one quick exit. I'm not adding higher into like uh, a continuation setup, mostly just, you know, catch the quick breakout. And then maybe, maybe once in a blue moon, you'll get that continuation, but usually it's not worth it to be adding higher and then waiting for that first pullback, adding more, and then looking for the continuation. Cause that's just so rare right now. Mm. So just one, one entry, one exit, take my profit and kind of walk away. That's what, how I've been treating my, my past month or so. Hmm. Um, I'm really contradictory right now because in a way, this is the week where volatility is going to be crazy. And I could have like one of my biggest trades ever. If you get a really good entry and you can add into it and not panic whenever it pulls up huge and, you know, it's going to be really tricky to do that, but I'm stuck between the idea of like reserved and waiting for that really clean opportunity. So I think tomorrow is probably going to be tomorrow and uh, Thursday will be the best for sure. Because with FOMC tomorrow, like I said before, like usually we get a really big breakout and then that breakout gets faded um, to the downside pretty strongly. So I'm going to be looking for that trade, but if it doesn't happen immediately, then it's just dead anyway. It has to happen really quick. So, uh, and then in terms of like today, I was trying to get, I, I still know there's potential for big trades, even though we have, so when you have data coming out in the next day or two days in the future, that's really important, like a rate hike, even though it's a hundred percent chance that we're getting a pause, everyone is just hands off. Most of the hedge funds, they're not trading. They just want to keep their volume on their, on their own side or they're hedging their portfolio, which basically helps the market become more choppy. So you have like 
people hedging, which makes it choppy, less volume, which makes it more choppy and massive data coming out in the, in the next couple of days. So you should be scalping. You shouldn't really be adding into positions that much unless you're doing it uh, like very quickly, like within a five minute trade, you're adding, you know, two or three times within the first like 30 seconds of that trade. You know, you don't want to be in a trade that you're already up 10 points and you're adding into it. You know, you're, that's going to flip on you and you're probably going to lose. So yeah, I'm very reserved, but also like very ready for that opportunity where I might be able to make, you know, whatever, $500 in a day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I'm definitely on board with both of those uh, comments. They're pretty similar in, in that regard, even though it's large and small caps, it's just, yeah, <laughs> hard to want to size into anything. Uh, with these small caps, uh, a lot of action pre-market. Tom, are you going to do a little bit more pre-market trading or... No, I, I've been liking um, sitting down at like 8.39-ish and then kind of just mentally preparing for the open, you know, reviewing my news and reviewing the stocks in play and not really prioritizing pre-market trading. I usually seem to um, do the opposite of what you do is you sometimes you mostly trip over at the open Always. and I, I trip over at pre-market. Yeah. And so... And the smartest thing to do is, you know, I've been trying to push, push, push pre-market to try to become that pre-market trader who makes a lot of profits pre-market, but it's just not, it's not happening. And uh, so what I got to focus on is just the time that I do best. And, you know, it's, I may um, lose a couple opportunities by not sitting down at 7 a.m., but my mind is going to be sharp at 9.30 if I sit yeah. down 30 minutes to 45 minutes prior to the market open, prepare myself. Um, and I'll have that fresh mind. I won't have any biases coming into the open. Um, I won't be frustrated if I'm having a rough morning. Uh, I'm going to be nice and fresh for the time that I perform the best. So I really have no FOMO if I do wake up. Like today I woke up, FWBI was already up 150% or whatever. And I didn't trade it at all pre-market. No FOMO because like I knew I would probably just be frustrated. I'd probably make maybe at most 50 bucks on FWBI, be frustrated because I feel like I should have had more profit on it. Um, and then I would carry into the open and affect my other trades. Um, so yeah, no FOMO kind of just uh, sat down today, traded FWBI with a quick uh, dip set up and uh, made my profit and then walked away at 10, 10 30. But yeah, I'm mostly focused at market open. Gotcha. I think that's honestly uh, the very, very wise of you because grass is always greener when it comes to trading and pretty much anything in life. And as a pre-market, you know, focused trader myself, I'm always like, man, I wish I traded the open because that's where all the volume is. And that's where I could go in with 10x size and get that pop up. And, you know, by the time pre-market happens, I'm a little bit, you know, not focused and I'll end up giving back a lot of profits because I'm, I'm only thinking about my P and L. I think if I was in the States, I'd probably be more of a market open trader. So I think it's really good that you're focusing on what works for you and yeah, find a lot of success with that. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what do you think the number one contributor is to your big green streak you were on? I think that, I think we're just being level-headed. To be honest with you, like I wasn't really, I didn't even realize on the green streak until probably mm -hmm. about like day 18. And I think it was just because I was just level headed every single day. I didn't really care. What, what really helped was because having this job kind of mm -hmm. uh, released a lot of stress 
um, of trying to be green every single day. So it kind of let me be more level-headed and I was just coming in day, coming in every day and just being like unattached to the amount that I was up. If I was up $14 a day on that day, I'll take the green day and move on for the next opportunity the next day. And then tomorrow, the next day would be, I would have a $300, $400 green day. And I'd be like, wow, this is made up for yesterday and or um, whatever s- slow market we've been in. Uh, and then just move on to the next day as a completely separate day. I was talking about this in the last podcast, but definitely uh, the level headedness uh, just kept me green and has been, it's been keeping me um, green mostly. So. Yeah, that's amazing for anyone that doesn't know. I think Tommy, you had like over a month green streak, right? 22 days, 22. Okay. Yeah. And that's over a month uh, uh, working days. That's yeah. Trading days. Yeah. If anybody wants to know what edge in the market is, that is what edges. Whenever you have consistent, <laughs> just green every day, that is the exact definition of having edge in the market. Yeah. So fucking congrats, dude. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I wish that I could. Uh, I wish I could see a chart of traders and how much they, how like their performance level whenever they have other incomes increasing. Because I feel like even just for me, I started this little Airbnb thing and I made whatever, some money from it. And ever since I started making money from that, I feel like I'm risking more trading. Like I'll make like 50 bucks in a trade and I'm like, that's nothing. Like I can make 200 now. And I'm like risking more money because I have that side income. And it'd be really cool to see what it'd be like if I get a job on top of that, which I'm looking for. So if I had like a job plus that side income and then trading was just like my third side hustle, like, I feel like that would be so cool. I would love to see the, like, if you could take a chart and do that amongst all traders, but you're doing that yeah. for sure right now. I would guess there's a positive correlation to, to at least some degree, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so to the point where at least all major expenses are covered and you live your ideal life mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Not including like any jets or something. Yeah. <laughs> One. Yeah, right. One thought that I had, uh, we kind of started off Colby and I talking about this before uh, you dropped in Tom. And it was like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to feel a lot of summer, uh, coming in terms of like, you know, Danny right now, he's not on the pod today. He's in Italy. He's going to be there for two weeks. And I, for the last few weekends, I've been doing a lot of day trips or on the weekends, I'll be at, I don't know, some ocean or lake or something. I'm flying to Portugal on Friday. So I'm kind of wondering, like, uh-oh, you know, it's it's summer and usually summer is very slow in the markets. So I'm thinking, is this year going to be different because the like Q1 was such a slugfest or is it just going to be that kind of standard summer, summer lull? You guys have any thoughts? Uh, well, as far as last summer, I mean, it wasn't really that slow last summer, but I guess we're still kind of coming off of COVID. So um yeah, I don't know. I, I really have no idea what this summer is going to be like. Yeah, for me, I'd say that every single time I ever tried to predict anything in the market, I'm always just surprised and wrong. So, <laughs> yeah, it's so much yeah. easier to just sit there and be like, oh, for the last four days, we had a 350% gapper. It's probably hot today. Yeah, and just I totally agree. Yeah. 
I, I totally agree with that. And that's that's why I like trading small caps so much because you're not trying to really guess anything. You're just like, okay, well, it's you know, it's above the nine EMA, it's above view up. Let's keep trading those breakouts until it's not. You know, it's like you're just kind of following it. And that's why I think it's yeah. such a beautiful strategy. You don't have to even stress about really any macro stuff unless like something like CPI drops at 830. Maybe you don't want to be in a trade then. But other than that, you know, it's it's pretty chill. Yeah. One thing I want to say about the summer market is the last time I would guess that we had a slow summer market would probably be before COVID. So that was like three years ago, right? Because then we had the 2020 market, which brought so much volume. And so there wasn't a really a summer market, a slow summer market for three years. So does that trend continue or does that, does that new, the new amount of, you know, traders in the market, um, and just the higher overall volume in the, the small caps, or I guess the large caps as well. Um, does that kind of change the sentiment like all around, like when it comes to the summer? Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. I think I bet it's probably just the same as every other point in the year where if you're if you have edge, you make money. Doesn't matter. Like maybe the yeah. gaps are not two hundred percent, maybe they're fifty, but yeah. You have edge. I mean, you have edge. It doesn't it's not going to affect mm -hmm. anything. Your profits will be a little bit smaller. You can't add in yeah. the trades more, but you'll definitely be able to make money. What mm -hmm. what helped me a lot in twenty twenty one summer because it started getting really slow even earlier. At like I don't know, it was like March or something. It was just went from like COVID insane insanity to like nothing, and that lasted for a while. What happened? To, what what was really good for me is like. The days where I did like, you know, get green, get going, I would get like a few front sides or something. And then I would lock in those profits um, and not over trade. So that worked really well. As contrary to 2020 in that summertime, I was trading longer and more size and that worked really well for me. So I guess, you know, no point in trying to predict anything, you know, trade what's in front of you, do the best you can. And uh, yeah, don't, don't have too many biases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't be a slave to the market. <laughs> yeah that's that's really important uh, is there yeah. anything that you guys have um thought about in terms of um some topics you guys would want to share on this pod uh specifically hmm. yeah i had i had one um one topic i wanted to share was like uh regarding Like what, why, why people decide, decide to choose this as, you know, something that they'd want to continue to keep doing after, after a level of success when it's no longer challenging, actually, when it's, when it's, when they're already profitable, um, do you think that people start to like, not really feel like encourage or feel motivated to do it? Cause I feel like, uh, with Ross Cameron, he seemed to be like a little bit less kind of enthused to be a trader he doesn't really push himself anymore he's kind of like falling into like a like a comfortable rut he's making like you know his his one to two to five thousand a day um and kind of just calling it and he's just like very just con very consistent but you know he i could see that he's not really as like enthused i guess to be as a tr to be a trader than he did in the past so i was just wondering is that like a that like going to be like a stage that we go through after we become successful traders and, you know, get to make the amount of money that we want to be, that we want to be making. 
yeah, I don't know. That's really interesting because I noticed that a lot of traders that once, well, we talked about this actually on the one pod, but a lot of traders, once they hit like the 10 million mark, it's kind of hard to continue to grow. Like once you hit 10 million in trading per year or in your lifetime profits, I guess lifetime is different than per year. Like $10 million in one year is crazy, but that's like even Lance Breitstein, like he is like doing education now. Tim Sykes, he started doing education. We made like his first million and he's been crushing it ever since. And then uh, there's, you know, everyone on tw- like the short bear, he's like out here, like he has a 2 million, he has like multiple $2 million trades this year. And he's just mm-hmm, yeah. giving out tons of free information on Twitter all the time. So I don't know, honestly, I feel like, well, Ross also is a unique example because he's literally making like $10 million a year from warrior at least. Yeah. Probably maybe more sometimes. So, so crazy. That's crazy to think about. If I made $10 million from something that I'm teaching people how to trade and I don't have to do the stress of trading, why the fuck would you still, why would you still be sitting around every day to make, you know, he'd have one day of the year maybe where he's like locked in all year. And then that one day he'll make 500 K he doesn't even care. He probably makes that every two months on his, uh, educational stuff so why would he sit around every day and neglect his family and his he loves hanging out with his (laughs) kid and doing all that kind of stuff so i don't know have you guys watched the arnold documentary on netflix no it just came out it's really good it's like a mini series that there's three episodes and one thing that he did which is just really perfect reminds me of the book quit again for like the thousandth time everything reminds me of this book now but it also answers this question a little bit. So he was a bodybuilder. He did that for 10 years. He was like Mr. Olympia or like he had world titles, like 18 world titles or something crazy. And he was like, I'm done. Like he was, just, it was just like, at one point he was like, I hit a wall. It's time to let someone else win. You know, he basically said, and then he got into real estate and acting. He was like, I want to be an actor. And then he did that for practice for five years, basically got no progress except with the real estate. And then eventually he started, you know, nailing these roles with the, I think Conan Barbarian was like his first mm-hmm. big hit. Um, and then there's the um, pumping iron uh, documentary that, you know, really made him famous, but it's like that, you know, you, you do everything you've done everything. There's nothing left for you to do. There's nothing really for you to grow. You could just like mm-hmm. yeah. kept, kept maintaining and one more medals, but he doesn't really care about that. Just like, you know, Colby was saying like, who cares if Ross makes $5,000 a day? Like he doesn't give a crap for sure. Like it doesn't move any needle uh, or it doesn't move the needle in either direction. And then, you know, when um, he was a really good actor and, you know, everyone knew him and he was, I think the highest grossing actor, that's when he was like, I want to run for politics. Like I'm going to want to mm-hmm. become governor. You know, it's kind of like you, you hit this kind of wall probably. And you're just like, let's see what's next. Let me do something fun. Cause you have to do something that excites you. And I think, you know, trading is a great platform to get you, you know, let's say this is our weightlifting. This is, you know, how we get from Mm -hmm. zero to one. This is like our first big platform makes us a Mm -hmm. lot of money. Then we could really do whatever we want. So yeah, I think think we'll probably all move on to different things at one point. For sure. Great to have in your back pocket. That reminds me of this tweet that I saw where it was talking about this guy. I talked about this before where he, every decade he tries to master a new thing or something like that. And I was like, 
Now you saying that sounds exactly like the same thing. And I think that people that do careers where it requires some level of self-mastery to be proficient, just proficient, not great or anything. Yeah. Every career is a little bit different. Like in trading, let's say, let's say weightlifting, your number one uh, thing that is going to get you to a super high level is discipline because you have to have like a really good diet all the time. Never cheat. Well, I guess, you know, whatever. I don't, I'm not a weightlifter, but you get the point. Trading is more of like, you have to control the mind fully. And that's a whole different type of discipline than a, than a physical body discipline, you know? And then maybe painting is like a whole different type of thing where you're mastering patience and like details and stuff like that. And I think that that, I think that we're probably all going to do shit like that throughout our lives, because that's like, once, like what you're saying, once trading becomes easy and it's not challenging anymore. I'm sure you're, we're going to look for challenges in other places because what's yeah. the point of living if you're not trying to grow in some or learn something new, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Great That's question. The, um, <laughs> That's the fulfillment is just, um, finding something to struggle at and then seeing your progress. That's like, that's the fulfillment. And that's, what's keeping me addicted to trading addicted. Mm -hmm. Just, just, I want to see my results every single day and then push it even farther and push it even farther. And mm -hmm. I, I still, there's still so much road left for me, for you, for, for Colby, all three of us, there's so much road left for in trading. So we're not, we're not nowhere near about like getting to the point where, okay, yeah, we're masters and we can move on. Uh, I think there's a lot more road to cover before we get to that point, but it's good to think about, you know, why, why we do it and how we, uh, how we get hooked and how we stay motivated and knowing that eventually it will end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, actually, that's a good point. Knowing that it's going to end, it helps you think, you know, I got to be enjoying these days as well. Uh, mm -hmm. That's, that's really important. Also, one thing that Arnold said is like, he never left in terms of like his community, never left his, his friends from the bodybuilding either. And he was always, even to this day, now he has like the Arnold classic, which is a weightlifting event. And he always hangs out with bodybuilders. So it was like, it's a thing that, you know, never really ends, but you know, he's moved on from it himself uh, as, in terms of competing, which for us would be like, you know, pro trading. Now with, you know, with trading, you can move on to something else too. Like we might not be trading small caps, but maybe, we're doing something else that we can, you know, I don't know if it's options or if it's, or if it's the index or trading large caps, or maybe even like, you know, once you have $10 million Roth IRA or something like that, you could, you can be, you know, buying seats on a, on a, in a company, right. Get on the board or something like that. There's, yeah. there's so many things that it could evolve yeah. into based on your interests and curiosities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I meant by, um, what I meant by, uh, eventually it will end is, is eventually it'll stop tickling you in the yeah. way that, it, that it's, that it's uh, pleasurable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Specifically small caps. Cause there's a lot of unpleasurable yeah. things with small caps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the stress that comes with it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I have a little tweet that I wanted to read from Alex Hormozzi kind of like off topic, but I thought it was really cool. Yeah. He's great. Cause I think it relates to trading sometimes, but we'll see. So here it goes. Two men, it's kind of long. Two men set out to build a building. One lays the foundation for a 10-story building and it finishes the entire building in nine months. The other person lays the foundation for a 100-story building and it takes him the entire nine months just to build the first few floors. The first, being ahead, 
Mox II for taking so long. He decided he wants to build his building into a 100-story 100-story building to prove how good of a builder he is. This is the guy that only made the 10-story building, but he did it really fast. So he tries to add more stories on top. He gets to 15 and to 16 stories, and then the foundation begins to crack. He starts to reinforce things, but no matter what, he feels that he can't put any more on top. Over time, the second guy keeps building and passes the first man. Two years later, the second man completes his 100-story building, despite barely having his foundation finished by the time the first man finished his entire building. The first man goes to a mentor and asks advice on how to grow his building taller. The mentor tells him, you need to tear down this building or start a new, another new one. He says, and waste all the time I spent building this one. Can I just add to on top of it if I knew how? And the mentor replies, there's a lesson here. The fastest way to build a 10-story building isn't the fastest way to build a 100-story building. Your desire to grow fast ruined your ability to grow big. I thought that was kind yeah. of cool. And then he said, a lot of entrepreneurs build businesses as though it's a race, and sometimes they reach their goals. When they see someone with bigger goals and bigger businesses, then they try to build their businesses into that business, but they can't. Because the fastest route to a $10 million business is not the fastest route to a $100 million business. Sometimes big things take time and often that is what makes them worth pursuing. Don't compare a skyscraper to a townhouse six months into building. Yep. Yeah. I, would, I would even take that a step further where it's like, there's something great about building that townhouse, that smaller building, because like that allows you to see further in the horizon and you can get more opportunities. Then when you build the second house, you might be like, people would be like, oh, he's a good builder. Let's collab with him. And then you have like, you know, a company or a team or an organization building the next thing together. Mm-hmm. So I think every project is a, step, a stepping stone. Um, sure. But yeah, every project is going to be totally different. And the bigger the project, the bigger the vision, the harder it's going to be to get off the ground. I mean, think about SpaceX, for example. Wow. You, if the backstory behind SpaceX is just incredible. I highly recommend reading um, Elon Musk's biography. Mind blowing. It's like crazy how this guy did all that stuff. Yeah, it's wild. But yeah, great, great topics. I didn't think we would get into this direction today. <laughs> These are always like the best little psychology classes. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a lot of what trading is really just psychology. Uh, mm-hmm. And it also that I mean that that also can apply to just comparing yourself to other people as well because like some people grow faster but who knows maybe ten years later they're kind of still where they're at but you're you're inching higher and higher and higher and getting better and better I mean you never really know what's going to happen and but mm-hmm. so comparing yourself to others is is definitely part of that as well. Yep, you are your own worst enemy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true. We like to trip over ourselves. Like me on Mondays, <laughs> worst. Uh, since we're only three, it, it's totally fine being a shorter pod. I know there's uh, less topics that we wanted to cover and we had to cover, but uh, any any other thoughts? Anything else you guys want to share? Go through. No, that's pretty much it for me. If you're in retail, please stop shorting the spy so we can have like one red day because <laughs> uh, the market makers they see your shorts and they will blow you up before you get profitable so <laughs> colby we're waiting for you on the dark side dude jesus dude this is actually kind of crazy last thing oh the so the spy has gone up it's 
gone up 8% in the last uh, 38 days. So 8% in 38 days, all to the long side. And my long statistics, like trading long patterns, is I have a win rate of 18%. And I just thought that was kind of funny. I have a win rate on my shorts, 35%. And I made like $180 shorting and I've lost like 70 going long. So I just think that's hilarious that the markets went up 8% in 30 days. And my win percentage going long, following the trend is 18%. That's hilarious. I think that's somewhat of a testament to how hard um, the market is when you're coming out of a bear market because you can't trust long moves and you can't short either. So it's like, and the long moves are very slow and grindy, but um, I just thought that was really weird and interesting. I tweeted about it, but yeah. It's just like coming off from like a, a lull, like let's say there's three months where the small caps are, you know, aren't, aren't moving. And then there's all of a sudden like a 200% gapper and like yep. all the best traders are right on it. You know, you see that yeah, sure. a lot, a lot, because it's just like, yeah. I wasn't expecting it. And then you chased and then you, you just, you totally forget how to trade it. So I think it's a little bit of that. That's funny. That's true food for thought as, uh, as we, as we wrap up, uh, Colby, let me know, uh, if you ever, if you switch <laughs> pack the smalls, yeah, <laughs> no, whatever, whatever's good for you. We'll support. Um, I'll be back when I'm like, uh, make like hundred K a year and I want to fund a new TOS account. <laughs> All right. That's what I like to hear. All right, guys. It's great. To, great talk again. And, uh, I'll see yeah. you guys in the discord. All right. See you later. See boys. you guys. Bye, everyone.